just because you don't see that many women out there on the road doesn't mean they're not out there. And um, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. So I think that no matter how you go about it, as long as you're being thoughtful and doing what you can with what you have, that it's going to be exactly what you need and you're going to get from it what you need to get from it. And there's no way to fail at it. Like it, it doesn't, you don't have to travel for a year to have done van life. You don't have to have a van to do van life. Um, you can travel part time. You can, you know, be a weekend warrior. You can borrow someone's vehicle. Um, and it's all the same. That was Laura Hughes, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 152. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. So on this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic answers, and I can't give you any miraculous 10-day, six-step life hack plans for anything. But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm honestly so over the quick fix approach, and my guess is that maybe you are too. Maybe that's even why you're here. So no, that's not what this show's about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep. We go into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we never shy away from just telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and always will be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. When you get over to Patreon, you'll see our current funding goal. And when we reach that goal, it means that every single person who works on this show will get paid. That includes me and my sound engineer, Adam Day, as well as every single guest who comes onto the show. Because that's my vision, for each of our guests to be paid for the time, energy, honesty, care, and emotional labor that they bring to these conversations. The budget won't be huge to start with and will hopefully continue to grow over time, but higher rates will always be paid to our guests of color as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. Being able to pay all our guests has been a big dream of mine for a while now, because as you've probably heard me say before, I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, then it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio even if it's definitely not the norm in the podcast industry. So please know that when you help to fund this show, you're using your money as a vote for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women, and you're voting to pay those folks for the entertainment and education that they so expertly provide. When you support this show, you're saying, loudly and proudly, that these voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. 
As a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series where I share my real life in real time, which, oh man, if you think that it gets vulnerable and honest on the podcast, just wait till you start getting my emails. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live events and retreats. Also, 5% of each season's profits are donated to social justice organizations, such as Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution to this show as well. Over on Patreon, you'll also see that there are currently three different funding levels, an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Laura Hughes. Laura is a part-time traveler and full-time creative, seeking inspiration on the road and through the voices of others. She's the host and co-producer of the Women on the Road podcast, and she's also an outdoor retreat and excursion photographer, which means that you'd be hard-pressed to find her without either a camera or an audio recorder in hand at any given moment. When Laura's not traveling in her self-converted camper van, you'll find her happy in Moab, Utah. In this episode, Laura goes into detail about what her life on the road is really like. She talks about her decision to pursue full-time travel, what it was like to build out a van with her former partner, as well as the split from that partner that led her to build her own van and set out solo on the road. I'm going through some similar transitions in my own life, and I'm in the beginning stages of building a van myself, even though I have no idea what I'm doing, which was the situation that Laura was in at the beginning too, so that was super comforting. And of course, I loved this conversation with her. But even if you aren't into van life or long-term travel, so much of what she says about fear and being a beginner and starting where you are and learning along the way and just being brave will surely resonate. So all of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's funny, whenever I interview someone whose podcast I listen to a lot, it's like a strange adjustment. Like, I, I'm really familiar with your voice. You know what I mean? And so now that we're actually talking, it's like such a funny experience for me. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because we just had our Women on the Road gathering last weekend, and there were a slew of podcast listeners who attended the event. And I gave someone a bathroom code to get to the public bathrooms on site. And later she came back and told me, yeah, I was just listening to you for three hours in the car on the way here. So then it was really strange to run into you and have you give me the bathroom code. And I was like, that is funny. I didn't think about that. So yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, it happened to me once. Um, I got stopped on a street corner and, or I, like, I was having a conversation with someone and someone walked by and they did a double take and they were like, are you Nicole Antoinette? And like, I recognize your voice. And it was like, this really strange. I don't know. It's like, lovely, but you don't think about how much time someone else like maybe spends listening to your voice. And then when you actually have a conversation, it has this like weird dimension of, oh, it's like a voice that's actually coming out of a mouth in a face that a real person has. Yeah. Saying maybe not super intelligent things or surprising things just out on the street. Who knows? <laughs> just, just giving bathroom codes out. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so drop me into your real life. Tell me the details of how you spent, I don't know, the first hour or two of your day today. Oh, um, well, that was a good one. Um, so 
I am in transit. I'm in a huge transitional phase in my life right now, and I have been since the middle of the summer. And so I actually woke up uh, in a hotel parking lot in my camper van, and I did not get a chance to brush my teeth, uh, but I did get some cereal and uh, sat in my van for a little bit, warmed up because I'm in southern Utah right now and it's a little bit chilly up here, and then started driving for a couple hours, passed through Monument Valley, and eventually made my way to Moab, where I am right now. And so, yeah, that was kind of my morning. It was it was beautiful, but it was also cold. I have never been to Moab. It's definitely on my list. Is that somewhere that you're planning on spending a bunch of time, or what brought you there this time around? Yeah. Um, so Moab is now my part-time home. I used to live on the road full-time in a large Ford Transit high-roof van that I converted with my ex, and he and I traveled around in it for about a year and a half. And um, the spoiler is that I'm not with him anymore. That's why he's my ex. Um, but I found Moab, and I actually found a new partner, and he lives here. And I am living here part-time and then traveling in a camper van that I converted myself over the summer part-time as well. So yeah, I'll be spending a lot of time here. I am excited to dig more into every part of the story that you just shared. <laughs> this is going to be yeah, so much a fun. a lot of content there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but before we get into that, one of my favorite questions to ask and something that I think about often is what's one thing that you have recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think that because I have a lot of visibility into the hashtag van life movement as someone who's been traveling on the road for the past couple of years and has done a lot of part-time road travel before that, I do think there's still a lot of room for people to have conversations about what it's really like to do road travel. You don't hear a lot of stories like, honestly, what I just shared about waking up in a hotel parking lot, which is... Is kind of sad, I think, because there are a lot of opportunities to share what it can really be like to travel. And I, I get a lot of comments from people, especially in person when they see the van that I built and, you know, explain to them what I do. And I'm a photographer and a podcast host and I travel part time and here's my little recording studio on wheels. And the conversation is usually something to the effect of, oh, what a romantic lifestyle. How great, you know, and it's it is sometimes, uh, but there's also a lot of real life that's intermingled in there and gross things or uncomfortable things. And yeah, I'd love to hear people talk about that more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's what I always want people to be more honest about is the realities of day-to-day -day life of whatever it is that they're doing. It doesn't mean don't share the amazing things about it because hopefully there are amazing parts, but I'm just like, I'm so much more interested in like the in-between, not like the most amazing or the most terrible, but just sort of like what everyday life is like. Like I think about this for me with long distance hiking, when I was first starting to get into that, that was something that I didn't see a ton of honesty around like that. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you can take like wonderful photos and put them on Instagram. And there's so many great aspects, but also it's like kind of a slog. You're like walking eight, 10, 12 plus hours a day and like digging a hole and pooping in it. And like, that's not always the most fun, right? And so it's like, I don't know, just hearing people talk more honestly about the actual lived experience of what they're doing, I feel like it's so refreshing. I totally agree. And it is interesting with the van life movement specifically, where 
I feel like there are two very polar opposite approaches to sharing about life on the road, where when the van life movement first became popular online, there was this influx of beautiful imagery of, you know, especially, you know, women laying in their bikinis with this like backdoor view to this beach. And those images are still really popular. And I understand why, because it's, you know, very fanciful and vacation mindset. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think there was also this this pendulum that swung towards the other side of things that, you know, societies also said, well, wait, you have to show us the worst things that happen now, too, to kind of balance out all the good things that you're getting out of living on the road. And I agree with you that there's so much in the middle of what it's actually like on a day to day basis that just isn't shared. And so then you get a lot of people who are like, well, I want to travel on the road, but I don't know what it's actually like. I know how good it can be and I know how bad it can be. But I don't know what most of my time is actually going to look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So before we get into all of the other questions that I have to ask you about van stuff, talk to me about the bathroom situation. What is the pooping situation when you're living in a van? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you asked. And genuinely, because even at the Women on the Road gathering where, I mean, this is just a ton of ladies getting together. One of the very first topics that came up informally just when I was around the night before the event, there were a handful of us was poop. And we were talking about poop for probably, oh, a good half hour. And it's because someone had a little mini toilet in their van, which, you know, it's just one that you can, you know, take with you. You can take it out of the van if you want. It's not like plumbed in or anything. And someone saw it and was like, hey, I have that toilet. Do you poop in it? And then it launched this huge conversation about like, oh, God, no, I'd never poop in that. And then I was surprised. I was like, wait, you never poop in that? I assume that everyone with a toilet in their van used it to poop. And they're like, no, we don't. We never, ever do that. Uh, But that wasn't the case with everyone. So people started sharing their experiences. So, I mean, for me, I intentionally don't have a bathroom in my van because I didn't want to deal with shit. I um, so literally, I actually, I mean, I pee into a bottle through like a one of those female uh, urine funnels. Um, If I have to pee inside of my van, that's what I do. But pooping's a whole different story. And I'll just go find a bathroom or If I'm out in the wilderness, I'll dig a hole, much like the long distance hiking you were talking about. So I just, you know, use leave no trace principles and do that. But not everyone goes that way. Some people do have little toilets that they poo in. Some people, gosh, yeah, we'll have more of an RV style where it's like more plumbed in and it's very fancy and it flushes. But yeah, most people, I think, take the same approach I do where, Mm -hmm. you know, they just they just won't because it's too much to deal with. Yeah. So, I mean... A little context, I guess, for people that are listening. It's funny, at the time of this recording, what are we now? November 2nd. So like a month before it's going to come out. I'm not sure where I will be in the talking about this publicly stage, but I'm in the process right now of shopping for a van and going through basically like a very similar transition to you. And, you know, my partner and I are splitting up and sort of my next phase is going to be traveling in this van. And so I'm asking myself a lot of these questions. And the bathroom thing was one of the first things that came up. And my assumption was that it would be for me exactly what you described that it was for you. But in researching it, yeah, I've seen so many different things. I've seen some people say that they have some kind of a toilet setup or like a bucket and they use kitty litter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's hilarious and amazing. Kitty litter is great. Yeah. I I had never thought about using, I mean, I have cats. I had never thought about using cat litter to go to the bathroom in a van, but yeah, see, real talk about van life. Yeah, I've actually heard, and I I don't recommend this method, but just, again, it's me personally. Some people actually have a bucket that they use, and then they will put a piece of wood over the top of it for their table. 
uh, which just doesn't seem doesn't seem like something nope. I would like to do, but it works for some people. Yeah, maybe think, they have a lot of kids. I think I'm all set. There. I think I'm all set on that. So tell me, going back in time, tell me the story of how you first started living and traveling in a van. You mentioned that it was with a previous partner, but I'd love to hear the lead up to that. Yeah, it's a good one. So about seven years ago, I met my former boyfriend and he and I really liked road travel. It was one of the first things that we bonded over. And it's because he had just started traveling around in a Toyota Cruiser. And so he was traveling in this SUV just part-time on the weekends. We both had office jobs. And he had put just a metal cot, like a single metal cot in the back so he could sleep in it. So it really didn't have anything custom built in there. And when we started traveling more and wanted to do overnight camping in this little SUV, he was like, well, I'll just go get another cot. That makes sense. And he went to the store, bought one, and it didn't fit by like a half an inch. So it was a very close fit, but just wasn't going to work. And so he was like, well, I'm gonna have to build something. So bless him, he did build something um, in his uh, Seattle apartment. Probably annoyed the neighbors a little bit. But uh, we started doing part-time road travel after that and did our very first two-week trip in that uh, Toyota Cruiser through the Southwest, which is just, you know, coincidence or irony or I don't know, the universe telling me I should be here now that I'm living in Moab and I love it here because that was one of the places we came through and I fell in love with the Southwest. So we did a ton of travel that way. And then eventually we realized that the cruiser wasn't going to be big enough for us just in terms of wanting to cook inside or just have a more comfortable bed situation and be able to stretch inside if the weather was bad and just have more space. And so that was about four years ago, and the van life movement hadn't really picked up too much yet, but there was some information online, so enough for us to realize that that was a good option, that we could pretty affordably convert a cargo van into a camper, and um, that's how our first van came to be. We did spend a couple of years building it out, and um, he really led most of that, so in a way, it was really rewarding for me to to do my own. But um, he he really took the lead on on that van, and then we traveled around in it after saving up money for about a year. We traveled around in it for about a year and a half. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask about like the money and work stuff because you, if I like know your story correctly, you guys weren't working remotely, right? You didn't have work that you could take with you when you first started doing this, right? Yeah, it's. It's that's actually a really good read of the situation It is a little bit complicated because I was doing some work with She Explores, um, the media group that I'm a part of before all of this. So I was doing some volunteer work because I just was really drawn to Gail's mission. Gail Straub's the founder of She Explores. And so I was doing volunteer content or just other little side projects that Gail and I would come up with. So the podcast Women on the Road did come up as a potential option right before I left the road or left for the road myself. And so actually my very first week on the road in the van after having saved up all this money, we were in Death Valley National Park. And that's actually where I taught myself how to podcast. We didn't have service. I just dove really deep into Adobe Audition, which is what I used to produce the show. And yeah, it you know, so I, I had the microphone, I had all that, but yeah, I, I wasn't really making any money quite yet from from any of my creative work. It was just a dream at that point. Mm -hmm. So then, in order to feel comfortable doing it, and you know, quitting jobs and stuff, like you said, your path was to just save up as much money as you needed to feel comfortable to take the risk. Correct. Yes, which is tricky in Seattle with rent, and then I also have student loans, and uh, like most of us who are in my age demographic. 
And then we were building out the van as well, which, you know, is more affordable than having someone else do it, but also was quite a cost. Mm -hmm. So initially, obviously, you had some experience with part-time travel and you said road travel, something that you'd always loved. But what were some of your fears and concerns about going full-time with it? You know, honestly, my biggest concern, which wasn't that much of a concern um, in like a fear sense, but more of an unknown and a questioning and a curiosity was how I was going to travel as a woman, which is funny to say now because there's such a huge community around women who are traveling on the road in some way. And I know that, you know, I've I've been a part of that. Gail's been a part of that. And so many other women have it. And you will now as too, too, which is exciting. But it is funny. I just didn't really know what it was going to look like. You see a lot of guys, and I'm speaking pretty much to the, you know, just stereotypical heterosexual gender dynamics too. So I I get the privilege in, in answering this question this way as well. But yeah, I just didn't really know what it was going to look like being a woman. Like, was I going to be able to wash my hair as much as I wanted? Or yeah, just strange things like, yeah, how was I going to pee? Um, and you, you see a lot of guys having conversations around all the gear and the vehicle, and that's not how I was raised. That wasn't an interest of mine. I wanted to know more about the lifestyle. How was I going to cook? Yeah. How was I going to stay in touch with people? Did I want to do my freelance work? How would, how would I work if I was going to work from the road? How was I going to do this podcast? Was I going to be safe? And there just weren't that many resources out there yet, but Gail Straub was one of the few women doing it um, through her written interview series called Women on the Road, which is how the podcast was born. And so that was a great resource for me initially. What were some of the things you found either through that interview series or through some of the other research that you did that made you feel more comfortable taking the leap? And the biggest thing I found, honestly, is that everyone does it differently. Just like the conversation we had about the toilets. I mean, there's almost no wrong way to do this. I think if you're hurting people or doing it illegally, like anything in life, then you're, you might be doing something wrong, possibly. But I I see so many women um, and men doing this lifestyle in all different ways that best reflects where they're at and what they need. And I think that that's beautiful. So I ended up developing more confidence just as I traveled, knowing that as long as it worked for me, that it was probably a good way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I also love when you were talking about you know, that you guys didn't start out necessarily with this big, beautiful van and starting out with just the vehicle that you had. I think that sometimes we put a lot of barriers up, you know, I can't do X, Y, or Z thing until I have, you know, this perfect setup or whatever. And there's something I think really powerful about the idea of just starting with what you have to the best of your ability, especially to try it out. If it's a new way of life, you didn't really know how you were going to feel about it. So it makes sense to just try whatever the smallest version of that is. And like, I hear that coming through in your story. Absolutely. And online, too, I do think that the van life movement has gotten a little bit prescriptive. I think it's moving away from that. But for a while, especially in the last couple of years, it felt really prescriptive towards here's how you do van life. You get this white cargo van, you build it out. There's three different ways you can do it. You know, the, and it'll look a certain way and then you're going to travel and this is what it looks like and you can travel this way or this way. And I think people are maybe getting a little tired of that because it doesn't feel very accessible. And honestly, it's not. And so one thing that we've tried to do in the Women on the Road community, and it, it sounds like this is something you're a huge supporter of, too, especially with your show and what you like to talk about, just you know, real stories and, and people being real with their lives, is that, yeah, starting with the vehicle you have or 
letting, you know, someone loan you out their vehicle that might work and, and just trying it for a road trip. And you're going to learn so much about how it is that you want to travel and how you actually do that you'll be way more informed when you actually, you know, maybe get something bigger or maybe not. Maybe you realize what you have is plenty. Mm -hmm. So when you were making this transition into, you know, being on the road more full time, what was it about it that made it feel like it was really the right fit for you specifically? Because I think it's easy to look at anything, like you said, that, you know, can look glamorous online and say like, oh, that would be fun or sexy or romantic or a thing to do. But obviously you had experience doing it. Like, can you speak to a couple of the things that like made this feel like the right choice for you to try? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't know that anyone's ever asked me that before. There is one aspect of it that is just the feeling of travel. And I love traveling. I guess one could then ask, well, why would you want to travel on the road when you could maybe go abroad? And there are a lot of people who do a great job with global travel, which I also love. But there's something about traveling, especially around North America, that I'm really drawn to, especially at this chapter in my life. I did, you know, right out of college, travel a lot around Southeast Asia, and I spent a year living in South Korea teaching English, which was a great experience. But I remember flying home after that 14-month period thinking, I know so much more about Asia just in general, um, knowing that I hadn't even visited, you know, I'd only visited maybe half of the countries, you know, in Asia. I was like, I know so much more about Asia than I do about the States. And how sad is that? Like, I want to know more about the country that I come from and get to know people and get to know different subcultures that are here, try different food, see different outdoor spaces and really experience as much as I can. And you can't get that with plane travel um, or global travel, you know, knowing your home country in that way by just driving around. So mm -hmm. I think there's that aspect that I love about it. And I do think that there's another aspect of having tried it part time and seeing that the logistics really were something that I I could do and that the drawbacks of maybe feeling a little bit dirty and gritty sometimes or not knowing where to sleep sometimes and trying to figure that out, that I could put up with those things and that I actually thought that those made pretty great stories. And so because I saw that as a positive or at least something to learn from and I enjoyed the challenge, I think that's what made me realize that, okay, I'm probably cut out for doing more full-time road travel. Mm -hmm. I love this idea about, you know, local travel or domestic travel, sort of, and of course, obviously there's lots to be gained from going abroad and all of that, as you spoke to, but again, this idea that it doesn't have to be this absolutely huge thing or nothing. It's not like, well, if you don't go to Africa, it's not an adventure that this idea that you can have adventure and exploration and all of that closer to home, which is a lot more accessible for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah, we interviewed somebody for the show named Kara Perez, who did um, a part of our series on financing your road travels. And I asked her if she had any advice at the end of the show. And she she basically said what you said, that just travel can be considered so many different things. Like if you're going away for a weekend and take a plane, that's traveling. If you're driving down the street to a park you've never been to before and you're spending some time there, that's traveling. And just to reconceptualize and not be so concerned with comparison, which is hard in today's culture with the rise of the internet and social media. But it's true. You know, you don't have to look at what everyone else is doing. And travel is so much more than what we talk about. Mm -hmm. I like what you said, too, about 
getting real about what are going to be the challenges and having to decide like, yeah, I think that I can hang with that. Like there's so much of what you're talking about with the van life stuff feels to me reminiscent of what I went through with long distance hiking. Cause I mean, I had never grown up outdoors doing anything athletic or anything naturey. And this really was like a whole new world a couple of years ago. And sort of, you don't know what you don't know. And I've learned the things that I don't know, but I look at so much of what's uncomfortable about that. And obviously it's different from like full-time travel or van life, but I see definitely some similarities that being dirty, the, where am I going to sleep, the logistics. And I'm like, okay, well, if I can hang with that and kind of enjoy that in one area, I think that will probably translate relatively well. And so that gives me confidence that even though, you know, I have no idea how to buy and build a van, like, well, I'll figure it out, I guess. Like I figured everything else out. Yeah, you look around and you realize everyone else has figured it out as somehow, you know, who had almost no experience. So why am I not qualified when those folks might have thought the same thing and then they came out better for it? And I like what you said about long distance hiking and living on the road being similar because I I do feel that way a lot of times where I'm like, okay, yeah, there, there are a lot of similar things, you know, even, you know, we're not physically working our bodies when we do long drives. But if you have multiple days where it's a lot of long drives, I'm sure that some of the same mental challenges of just that mental stamina, <laughs> the same as like long distance hiking come into play too. You're just also really physically working your body with that long distance hiking. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have any experience with building things or electrical work or like any of those skills once you and your partner first decided to do this? No, no. I'd used my mom's sewing machine a couple times. I just was not raised to really use any tools. And so it was a really interesting experience to be exposed to what it would take to build out a van. And my partner at the time, he, you know, he has a huge strength around being super thorough. Um, however, I do think in that thoroughness as the partner who was maybe less thorough, I ended up taking a backseat to the build because I didn't really feel qualified. And I felt that validated in my partner. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, you know, if this is going to get built, um, I think it's going to get built to your standard. And I don't know if I meet that right now. Mm -hmm. So and I think being honestly being a woman, I think also, and just being raised, you know, in a traditional girl sense of like, this girl is going to learn how to do art, she's not going to learn how to use power tools. You know, and that's no slight to my parents. They really, you know, brought so much to my life. But learning how to use a jigsaw was not one of them. And so, yeah, I, I got to see the van be built. I got to be a consultant on the design of the build. I got to make the curtains. But, um, you know, other than that, I really just helped the van be a home and helped to fund it but I didn't do a lot of the building myself in that first vehicle. Yeah. So I appreciate your honesty with this because there, I mean, there's so much in your story that I can relate to. I ne was never taught how to use tools. Part of that, I don't know if it was like a gendered way of being raised. I don't know if it's because those weren't skills that my parents had. I grew up in really big cities. We lived in apartments where they were both small and like you weren't allowed to do anything to them. It was just like a series of, I think, factors combined into that just wasn't my lifestyle. I think that it's really easy I mean, obviously we're talking about this through the lens of where you taught to use power tools, but I think this can be true for so many aspects of life that if you're raised a certain way, you wind up unconsciously telling yourself the story that that thing is not for me, whatever that is, or I can't do that thing. And I really had to kind of pull at that thread a little bit, especially thinking about making this transition of just because I don't know how to do those things yet doesn't mean that I can't learn. And hearing your backstory of where you were with this first van build and then having watched with like lots of attention to, you know, the videos and stuff that you've shared of the build that you've done on your own van. Like clearly there's been a huge gap that I mean, you've learned a lot. Right? And so I, I don't know, it just gives me a lot of confidence 
And it's a good reminder, which sounds silly saying it out loud, but we can learn new things. Yeah, we so can. And it was a really healing experience actually building this next van that I'm sitting in now uh, recording this with you, you know, building it myself because even something as basic as the floor, you know, and I had a lot of help. No one builds these vans by themselves, right? There's some type of help involved. And so the floor is a prime example where I was going to meet up with a, a gal friend and she helped me build most of the inside of the van, but I wasn't able to meet up with her right away. And I just wanted to get the floor done. And I was like, you know, I think I can do the floor by myself. And I was living with my parents at the time. And, you know, it, it all came full circle where I was like, hey, dad, do you want to help me build the floor? I know you said you really wanted to help. And he was pretty nervous. And I think it made me realize that maybe he didn't teach me how to use power tools because he was uncomfortable using power tools. And I had just never really considered that. And so it was a really great, honestly, it was a really humanizing experience for us to do that together. But it also was a nice bonding opportunity. And I think for me, it was healing where I had to take the lead on how that floor was going to be built. Mm -hmm. And it was built really well because I had seen it done before. And I also got to show my dad how to do that, you know, do it. And I think that that was just a nice experience for everyone. But you're right. Yeah, it just, you know, we can always learn new things no matter what age we are. Yeah. And I started thinking, like, I basically started making kind of a brain dump list of all the things that I feel either scared or uncertain about when it comes specifically to the building aspect or all the things that I don't know. And then I thought, okay, well, let me research as much as I can. People have put an enormous amount of very thorough, helpful kind of DIY to do stuff online, right, for this. So there's plenty of information. And then also who is in my network? Okay, I have a friend who offered to help with the electrical stuff. My husband's pretty good at these kind of things, right? And I have another friend who's really good with car stuff. So it's like I can put together a network of people who can help to teach me. And it's it, it, like saying this out loud sounds really silly, but sometimes I do think that we get really blocked by, oh, I don't know how to do that. So therefore that's not for me or I'm going to mess it up. Or, well, if you mess it up, you just fix it. Absolutely. Yeah. My friend who helped me with the build, actually, one thing I admired about her and why I really wanted to do the build with her, her name's also Laura, coincidentally. But she was just so fearless with the way that she'd done her previous van builds. And none of them are perfect, right? And that's not what I wanted, though. I didn't want a van that looked immaculate. I just wanted a van that suited my needs and that maybe told a story along the way of how it was built, because that's what I was most excited about was that I was going to be building it. And so, yeah, tapping her in my network and, and having us work together on it. Yeah, it, we made mistakes. We ended up you know, needing to redo some things or, you know, things aren't perfectly done that's okay. You know, it's still here. I still have the van that I wanted and it's exactly what I needed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something else that I learned from this too, is that it doesn't have to look perfect. It just has to be what you want. And um, that can be a whole variety of things. Yeah. And it's like only true that you don't know how to do something until you learn how to do it, right? Like if this is something you ever wind up doing on another vehicle, you're coming into it with so much more knowledge and so many more skills than you had before. Oh, so much more. I learned I'm really good at using a jigsaw and I had no idea, but now I feel like I could do all kinds of projects that involve a jigsaw and that's great. So when I have to learn how to use a jigsaw and I call you crying and I'm like, tell me it's going to be okay. <laughs> You're going to be reassured. Yeah. Cool. I'll tell you, you can just take and cut a hole in your van. It's all good. <laughs> so what are a few of the sort of must have things for you that you knew you wanted in this new van build? What was most important to you? Yeah, that's a good question. And before I started the build, I actually made a whole list of things that were like must-haves and then things that would be nice-to-haves. And at the top of the must-have list, this might sound random, but it was actually a sink. And my van is pretty small, but I learned really quickly in the last van that the difference between feeling like 
I, you know, honestly was homeless or just living out of my car versus having a home that I'm living in that travels is a sink because you can brush your teeth in it and you can wash dishes in it. And so it just opens up a whole variety of options for camping or, you know, being in urban environments or traveling and, you know, cooking outside. And so the sink was the biggest one for sure. And then I knew I also wanted a fridge. So I got a really awesome Dometic electric cooler that I'm in love with and that I highly recommend. And then I just knew I wanted it to feel like home. So there were definitely some aesthetic touches that I wanted that we didn't have in the last van that were more specifically me. So I love colors and patterns and being able to put up lots of photos and quotes. And so I made a space for that too. Yeah, that was something that I was going to ask you for someone who travels a lot that I don't know, you have to have the skill of, I guess, like creating home in different situations or maybe non-traditional situations. And one of the things I was asking myself is, okay, what are some of the things that make me feel grounded or that make me feel like I'm home? And like one of the things surprisingly that came up for me, not that this is related to being in a specific geographic location was making tea. Like I I love tea. I'm a big tea drinker. And Mm. there's just something about the ritual of like getting up in the morning and making tea and having it in my favorite mug. And So it made me want to ask you what maybe some of the little comforts or routines or things for you that help you feel like at home, even if, you know, you're constantly in a different place. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you mentioned tea because tea is definitely something that helps to ground me. I don't really have a ritual around it yet in the van because my sink is actually not totally done. So (laughs) sinks are a little more complicated sometimes, but um so I, I haven't had anybody wash things, but the um, the tea is a nice one. I also do love having photos up and being able to look at photos and quotes that are important to me. So actually right now I'm facing this backsplash that has a little wall space on it where I've taped up some different instant film. I'm a huge instant film fanatic. So instant film for my travels and, you know, fronts of greeting cards that I've received over the years that I really like and that inspire me. And that's something that I look at often as like a, you know, inhale, exhale moment of like, okay, yeah, I, this is why I do this because there, there are people in these photos that I love. And when I was in these certain places, I really felt something and it inspired me to write or do whatever. So those are some ways I feel grounded. And then also this has nothing to do with van builds, but I love calling friends. That's just a way that when I travel, I feel grounded when I call friends and it, it helps me to feel less lonely, especially when I'm traveling by myself. Yeah. I mean, and obviously it's it's relatively easy to have community with folks when you're both in the same place or when you're all in the same place. But if that's not going to be the case anymore, then it's, you know, really maintaining those relationships the way you want while being on the road. Totally. Yeah. And if you travel a lot, like from point to point, I would in, really highly encourage anyone to get a nice Bluetooth headphone um, like speaker that you can use while you're driving, um, like a headset, just so that you're able to to have conversations while you're en route somewhere. Mm-hmm. So something you mentioned before that you did um, that two-part series on your show of sort of the financial side of like living on the road, which I loved because I feel like, I mean, money's the thing I always want to talk about. Sex and money are the things I always want to talk about, but money specifically with things like this, obviously it's way, there are ways to do it at a, like a wide variety of price points, I'm sure. But I'd be curious if you're open to sharing for you what sort of your monthly budget looks like on the road. Yeah, that's a good question. So, and I've done it a couple different ways now. So I can definitely say with the last van, 
the budget was more just because we were still making van payments. So, um, you know, it just really depends what type of a deal you're able to get for that. But that's always a factor. It can be hundreds of dollars. For some people, it's, you know, as little as like 100 or 200. Sometimes it's upwards of $800. For us, it was kind of in the middle of that. This van I bought outright. So I'm currently pretty slim on my savings and working my way back up there, but I don't have to make van payments. And that was a really big deal for me just because being freelance, if you get kind of caught between invoices or something, uh, you don't want to be worried about your car payment uh, on top of everything else. So if that's available to you for some reason, um, I encourage you to explore what that would look like, mm -hmm. um, just buying your buying your vehicle outright or using what you have. I probably spend, it really depends month to month. Like right now, I've been traveling a lot. So I'm probably spending a few hundred dollars um, a month on gas, if not more. But that's stopping starting this month. And so, you know, I'm going to be spending maybe a hundred dollars a month on gas right now. <laughs> so that's always like a really big one for people who travel is just how much are you actually going to be traveling? Where are you going? And that's going to make a really big difference. And then with food, it also depends what state you're in. So like California versus Arizona is a huge difference with food and honestly gas prices too. But um, food can be 30% more in California, just at the same grocery store versus Arizona. So, you know, that's the difference between getting something for, you know, $40 versus $60 for like your, your month, you know, your week's worth of food or mm -hmm. what have you. So those are really the biggest expenses. You know, insurance is another one. That can really vary depending on what you're looking at. But, you know, usually you pay those in, in the six month chunks of, you know, a couple hundred bucks or what have you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the the nice thing about road travel is that you really are in control of how much you spend per month. It's just all about what state you're in and how much you're traveling. Yeah. I mean, and from some of the research that I've done, again, it's like ranged a lot depending upon how frugal people are being, how much sort of entertainment stuff they're doing, whether they're traveling alone or with a couple. But I've seen a lot of numbers that range between the like 1300 to like $2,000 a month range. Like that seemed to be pretty consistent for a lot of folks, which is certainly, I think less than you can spend at home depending. So I don't know, looking at the budget side of it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I think this is doable. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, you made a good point that it is generally speaking more affordable or you spend less per month if you're in a couple or travel with a, you know, travel buddy of some kind versus traveling solo because you're splitting a lot of those expenses like gas and insurance. Yeah. What's been something since, I mean, it doesn't have to be this van build. It could be, you know, your whole time on the road, but what's been something that's surprised you that you kind of maybe went into it thinking it wasn't going to be that way. And then you turned out to be surprised or anything that, that came up that felt surprising. Hmm. I think I was surprised at how often I actually get cell phone service, which is maybe a funny thing to say, but there are times where, you know, I'm out camping in the middle of nowhere and I wish I had service and I didn't. But by and large, there have been far more times where I'm surprised that I do have service in places that feel a little bit more wild, whether they're in national forest areas or um, BLM land. There, there are really nice free camping spots. You can get service. And it's not a perfect system by any means, but when you travel and work at the same time, that can mean everything. That means you might post up for a week if you want and just get some work done and feel like you're kind of on vacation at the same time, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Actually, and so some more specific questions. Do you just use your like cell phone data for like what's your 
like uh, getting service situation? Yeah, currently I just have an unlimited data plan with my phone and they say they throttle your speed after you use over like 16 and a half gigabytes. But I'm going to be honest, I use way more than that per month usually, which is I don't know if that's shameful or not. I have no shame around it because it's unlimited. But I haven't really felt a difference. It's just more about whether I get service or not. And in my last van, we did try a cell phone booster, like a signal booster. We had really mixed results with that. It's kind of like if you don't have any service, you're not going to suddenly get service with a signal booster. And they're a lot of money. So it's something that I would recommend testing out first if you can find one from a friend and try it out for the weekend first. Mm -hmm. So two other things that just popped into my head of like really logistical questions that I'm curious about. Your bed setup, I know at this at the time of this recording, you haven't done the full like inside tour of the van yet on Instagram, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> but is your bed something that converts into like a bench or something during the day? Yeah, I'm actually sitting on it in bench mode right now. And what I love about this is I, I did make this van with the idea of it being more of a mobile office that mostly is meant to just sleep me, but could sleep two people if I wanted to because I love bringing friends on the road. Um, I have a partner. I love traveling with him. And so, yeah, this, it has like um, interlocking slats and I can send you some photos too, um, but it has some interlocking slats that pull out. And so, yeah, it is able to convert into a bed quite easily. And then I just have foam cushions that all kind of fill the space between the wall and the edge of my counter. So it's a full twin size bed actually, which is more than enough to sleep two people if you like being cozy. Yeah. Okay. So then my follow-up logistical question to that is when you put it into bench mode, what do you do with your bedding? Like it's, it seems in my mind annoying to like have to like make and unmake the bed and like then where do you put stuff? Mm, yeah. I wondered about the same thing. So I covered the cushions with a Cordura fabric that my friend who helped me with the build is also an amazing seamstress and she makes her own bike packing bags custom for folks. And, um, because of that, she had a lot of extra Cordura fabric, which is used commonly on like backpacks and stuff. And she had some that was a perfect color for me that she didn't want anymore. So she covered all of them for me, which means that I sleep directly on that with like a sleeping bag or like a rumple blanket, something that's like pretty outdoorsy, pretty durable, and usually pretty spill proof, <laughs> just because that happens a lot in the van. And so when I'm done with that, um, so I don't like have sheets, I guess is my point. Okay. And when I'm done with all that, then I actually just cram it into either a stuff sack or, you know, if I'm trying to be super compact or if I'm not and I just want it out of my way, I just cram it right under the bench and there's tons of storage under there. And so that's where I put it when it's not in use. Yeah, that was my question too for myself of uh, back on the topic of what are the things that you need to feel like home? And I think potentially bedding that's not a sleeping bag might be helpful for me. I'm traditionally not a great sleeper as anyone who follow, has followed along with any of my journey knows. It's like why I got off the PCT mostly because I just like was not sleeping. But yeah, so that's interesting to know. And yeah, I have a rumble too. I have a friend who works for them actually. It's a really fun company. So yeah, okay, good to know what you do. And then my other super logistical question it sounds like you have really good sound quality right now. Obviously, like we're recording and you're in the van. Have you done anything from like a podcasting perspective to make that the case? Yeah. So um, I just made sure I insulated the van really well. And because it's small, um, and I'm glad, I'm glad the sound quality is sounding good. So that's great. Because it's a small space and it's well insulated, I do think that that helps a lot. I am even going to probably take it one step further and make... Gail has one of these in her own home, actually, because even in any space, unless you're in a sound recording studio, things can get kind of dicey 
with sound, but you can basically take like a crate or a cardboard box and line it with like an eggshell foam. And so I'm going to try to maybe craft something like that that I can also break down so that it's not in my way all the time. But when I need it, I can just put it up on my little countertop and then use that if sound is um, maybe going to be at risk. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. You remember those like dividers as a kid that you would put up sometimes like during tests at school? There were like the three pain. I don't know. Maybe this is just my school that you would sometimes no, have to put that I totally up around. I remember those. Yeah. And I was thinking of something like that that could fold that had like an egg crate type thing. So cool. Okay. Good to know what you're thinking of. Yeah. So I guess pivoting a little bit, um, well, yes and no, essentially we're just all talking about travel and van stuff, but a few months ago or last month, maybe you shared something on Instagram that really resonated with me. I'd been listening to your podcast for a while at that point and really enjoying your work, but it was that post is what made me reach out and want to connect with you and want to invite you on the show. And so in the post, you were essentially telling the story of a phone conversation that you had with Gail. And in recounting the conversation, you said, I told her I was going to be taking a remote assignment in Alaska and I'd be off grid for a couple weeks. I also told her I was pretty sure my relationship was ending. Standing just a handful of yards away from the van that I had hitched my entire life to, it felt like a pretty hopeless moment. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of take us back to that moment and share what happened next, because yeah, I can't imagine, okay, you've done this, you know, living in a van and you're with a partner and you've made all these decisions together and now you're not going to be doing that anymore. And and anything in that that you feel comfortable sharing, I I would love to hear about. Yeah, that's actually a great lead in to that story because that was one of the moments where I think it all started. And because this is going to air in December, it's super relevant, but I also have a story that I just wrote for Rova magazine, and it'll be hitting the shelves in print um, at Barnes and Noble in December. And so this is probably a good pairing to that conversation. But um, I had already been looking around at vans online at that point. And so I was I was pretty sure by the time I got on the phone with Gail that things just didn't feel right. And The reason I'd been looking at vans online was because I wanted to know what it would take if I was going to be living on the road by myself and if I could actually do it, like if I could afford it at that point. And I quickly realized that I could only because you can buy vans and cars for pretty cheap if you're willing to have an older vehicle. And at that point, I realized that I was. And that was hard to say because I had worked on this van, you know, even Even though I hadn't used a lot of the power tools, I had worked on making that van a home and making that life a reality for years by that point with a partner that I had been with for, gosh, yeah, at that point, over five and a half years. We separated right before our our six-year anniversary. And so, yeah, in that moment, it was... I kind of felt desperate, and I really trust Gail, and she and I talk about a lot of stuff, but I, I hadn't really planned on telling her that. I just, I think I knew over the phone... I wasn't going to be able to tell her that I was leaving for Alaska, which was a trip that I, I wanted to take because it seemed like a great career opportunity and a good challenge creatively, but also because I just needed to get away. And I knew that. And I knew that Gail knows me well enough and we talk on the phone because we work remotely. And I was like, she's going to know that something's wrong if I don't just tell her. <laughs> so, and I also, you know, she's my business partner. So I wanted her to know that yeah, my life is going to get probably pretty crazy over the next few months. And I just feel like this is happening. And um, so it did feel like a pretty hopeless moment. And I was really amazed that her response was so supportive. And she said, she asked me a couple of questions and 
you know, after I, I talked to her a little bit about it, she said, you know, you just sound really sure. And this might be scary for you right now, but I just want to know that, like, I hear a lot of certainty in your voice and whether you end up going through this or not, you know, right now you seem like you really know what's what you need to do. And that gave me a lot of resolve among some other moments that I had that, yeah, I do think I, I need to move forward in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was the assignment that you went to Alaska for? It was my one of my very favorite assignments I've ever taken on. And I found out about it in a completely random way where I was sitting in a shared workspace in Seattle with some friends who I hadn't seen in a while. Wasn't even really supposed to be there at that point. I was supposed to be somewhere else. And I just decided to hang out. And uh, someone came into the room, my friend Greg, and said, hey, there's this assignment coming up. You know, it's just in a few weeks. It's really short notice. But does anyone have availability to take two weeks offline to go do this photo, you know, you know, influencer type of a, a relationship with uh, Mountain Travel Sobek and the Outbound. And Mountain Travel Sobek is a really great adventure travel company, and they do all kinds of expeditions worldwide. And um, the Outbound, for those who don't know, is a, an outdoors-focused media group. Um, they have a really solid presence on social media. And so they had partnered up to do some really cool things this summer. And they needed someone to go create content kind of last minute. And I found myself raising my hand right away. <laughs> and I said, I want to go. I'm interested. It's a two-week rafting trip. And I've never been whitewater rafting to, you know, that for that long before, definitely not overnight. I've never done a photo assignment like that where I'd be on the water so much, but I definitely want to do it. And fortunately, the outbound felt the same and they thought I'd be a good fit. So uh, the next day I was getting tickets and going to Alaska. I love it. So then you came back from Alaska and obviously, you know, made this transition to getting your own van. This might seem like kind of a strange question, but I think going through a breakup or an uncoupling or, you know, whatever that experience is so universal. And obviously it's unique to each individual person and couple, but can you speak to anything that you feel like helped you to heal and to get through that? Uh, my friends, hand down, hands down, um, my friends and my family. And I, that's probably a very universal answer. But when I left my van, and this is applicable to anyone who's, you know, shared any type of a living space and separated themselves from that. You know, you're not just separating yourself from that person. You're displacing yourself from somewhere that you call home. And so, yeah, I, I was without a car and a home at that point because the van was both. And that made me feel very vulnerable. Um, it involved a lot of rental cars that I picked up at odd hours of the night due to my travel schedule. And I didn't get a lot of sleep. And I really just needed places that felt like home that I could go to where I felt safe and loved and accepted for whatever state I was in at that point. It was a very hectic time and a very uncertain time because I was trying to figure out what my next step was going to look like. And I had several friends who really stepped up and my my parents, I'm really fortunate to say, really stepped up as well and just said, our home's open to you. You know, come as you are, stay however long you want, leave when you need to. And um, that meant everything to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What was the transition like from traveling with someone else to traveling solo? I thought it was going to be a lot bigger of a transition, to be honest. I was a little bit nervous about it because I knew what it was like to travel with somebody on the road where 
you know, a lot of times I would do work from the passenger seat while he was driving or be able to get up and get snacks for us instead of having to pull over or we decide we needed gas. So one of us would navigate towards that while the other one's driving. So there's a lot that was able to happen while we were in motion because there's a second pair of hands and eyes there. Um, And just from a safety perspective, generally you feel safer when you're with somebody too. And as a woman, I think we're told that traveling with a man, you're going to automatically be safer. I don't know if that's actually true or not. I think statistically that might be true, but I don't think it's true in every case. But traveling by myself, I think the biggest adjustment at first was just keeping an eye on some of that stuff like the gas or being realistic about how many hours a day I could drive or if I was getting tired, I knew that meant I had to pull over and that the driving was stopping for the night like no one was sleeping from the passenger seat. But I got really used to all that within a few days, honestly, and I think it's because I've done a lot of travel already, whether it's, you know, backpacking around Asia or just being on the road and knowing, you know, how a good travel schedule for me works. And so, you know, that transition didn't take as long as I thought it would. Isn't that funny how sometimes we build something up to be potentially a really big deal and then it comes and it's like, oh, I got this in a couple of days. <laughs> Yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. And again, like just one of those things where we're so much more capable and can learn things so much faster than we think that we can. Mm -hmm. So for you personally, what would you say is your biggest challenge for life on the road? Hmm. That's a great question. You've been asking a lot of great questions. I've said that a lot. Um, (laughs) I, I think that one of my biggest challenges is that I like to talk, um, which you might know by now. And you don't get a lot of that time to talk when you're traveling by yourself unless you intentionally create it and you realize that you need it. And I think it's been hard for me to be honest about the fact that I get my energy from talking with other people because I'm also, I fancy myself being quite independent. And so knowing that I rely on others for some of my energy is sometimes a little bit bothersome to me. But I also know that there's a lot of beauty in listening to people's stories and learning from them. And so that's a strength, ultimately. But yeah, so I just have had to learn that, yeah, recognize when I'm lonely or I'm feeling kind of down or tired, you know, not in a physical sense, but in a mental sense. And then I just call folks and talk to them. Um, Or I find other people who are around me in the community that I'm in and make friends and talk to them there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that so much. It makes me think when I was on the Arizona Trail, That was the most solo thing I've ever done in my life, like three days, four days, five days at a time without seeing any other humans, which maybe doesn't sound like that long, but for me, it felt like an eternity. I'm an extrovert. I host a podcast, right? Like I I need people to listen to my nonsense. Like I need to talk to other people. And it was just like a definitely a realization that I'm comfortable alone and again, independent, like you said, and can do things. But yeah, I I don't just want to be completely alone in a vacuum for, you know, days and days at a time. Yeah, totally. And talking to myself, I know some people say, oh, I talk to myself a lot in that void. And I'm like, I don't really. And I also don't find that to be very effective. Sometimes singing helps, just like sometimes physically I need to talk, I guess. So singing is great, but I'm not a super great singer. So um, (laughs) I mean, I guess that's a good thing that I'm traveling by myself then. So if you go back to when you were doing the very first research um, about van life and about what this might be like, If you put yourself back there, I guess, like talking to that person, is there anything that you wish you'd known at the beginning of this process? Or if you could kind of go back and talk to that other version of yourself, like what are some things that you would say, whether it's like advice or encouragement or anything for that would have helped? I guess I would underline that 
even though you might not see that many women out there. Um, and now you do, but I'd say like there are still tons of different folks you don't see out there on the road. So like women of color, people of color, if you look online, are, are really underrepresented in terms of road travel, folks with physical disabilities. So like, and, you know, pick pick a, um, you know, a subculture or a minority group or anything like that. And you find that like, you know, you don't see very many of those folks online. For me, it was women at the time. And just because you don't see that many women out there on the road doesn't mean they're not out there. And um, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. So I think that no matter how you go about it, as long as you're being thoughtful and doing what you can with what you have, that it's going to be exactly what you need and you're going to get from it what you need to get from it. And there's no way to fail at it. Like it, it doesn't, you don't have to travel for a year to have done van life. You don't have to have a van to do van life. You can travel part time. You can, you know, be a weekend warrior. You can borrow someone's vehicle. Um, and it's all the same. I love that idea that there's no way to fail at it. Like there's no, there's no way to do it correctly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. None. I like to say that none of us are experts, but at the same time, if you've done it at all, you're kind of an expert. Yeah. Or at least you become an expert in what you need or what works for you or that it's all just like a continuous learning process. But yeah, I think it can feel intimidating when it seems like a lot of other folks know a lot of stuff that you don't know about this, but it's like you'll learn in the same way that they all learned. Absolutely. So I know that one of the things right now that makes like travel possible for you is that you can work from the road. Will you share a little bit more about what your creative life, what your business, like what that looks like and what you do? Yeah, definitely. The two main things that I do right now that bring in money are my photography. Um, so I'm an adventure photographer, and that means that I do a lot of excursion photography. So um, travel companies who want to take groups out. And they want a photographer there either for marketing purposes or as a service to the guests or both. I go on those um, in addition to outdoor retreats. And sometimes those coincide where outdoor retreats have some excursion elements. Like I just went canyoneering at a really awesome women's retreat called Spark that happens every September in Zion National Park. And that was beautiful. Um, so I do things like that. And then and I also do some like outdoor product photography and, and small business photography as well. But then with my podcasting, um, I work with She Explores, um, which is founded by Gail Straub. And she and I, um, along with our online editor, Haley, are all business partners. And so I get ad sponsorships through the podcast. And then we also do other sponsored content. So from a revenue perspective, that's how um, money's generated on the road. Mm -hmm. When you look ahead at the next year, do you see any of that changing? Or like what's, I guess, maybe a better question is what's like a big, scary dream you hold for your business? What would you love it to look like? Mm, I was just talking about this recently. So I'd love to see all the work that I do continue to grow. I feel like I've hit a pretty good stride, especially when it comes to my photography, where the clients that I'm getting now are the clients that I, like every client that comes to me that I end up working with is a dream client. And it doesn't mean that I'm like drowning in work. Um, they're, they're few and far between sometimes. Um, so I don't depend on the photography revenue as much, but it means that I'm at least putting the right feelers out there and you know, doing the right stuff that's attracting the right folks, which is great. So I just want to see that continue to grow. Um, and same with the podcast. The Women on the Road community is so fantastic. I love serving them. I love telling stories of women who are traveling around in all different capacities. So I'd love to just see that continue to grow. And then honestly, a big scary dream that I have is I want to write a book. 
I don't know if that's going to happen next year. That feels a little soon. But within the next couple of years, I definitely want to write and publish a book. And um, I just don't know what it would be about yet. But I know there's one in there at least. Mm, I love it. So when you were talking before about the Alaska trip and how you found yourself raising your hand and saying yes to that, it made me think like so much of building a business and, you know, all of this, I think like is about saying yes. And so I would love to hear about a time, maybe some like a different story than that when you said yes, and it paid off, even though you might've felt really scared and like, you totally didn't know what you were doing when you said yes. Yeah. The podcast is actually one. And a lot of folks ask both Gail and I what our backgrounds are, like if we have a background in audio or journalism, which I find to be a very flattering question because neither of us have a background in either. And um, for me in particular, I never saw myself getting into audio. And it actually started because Gail had been running the She Explores podcast for about a year at that point and really wanted to start producing another show. She just saw a lot of potential for it. And for her personally, she just wanted to help someone else learn how to podcast. And so we were having a phone conversation one day and she told me, yeah, I'm thinking about starting another show. I don't really have any particular ideas. I don't actually have a host chosen yet. There are some potential folks out there who might be good fits. You could also be a good fit. If you have any ideas, send me a pitch. And I almost dismissed it at first. I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Like, I, I you know, I, I usually answer yes to things just in general, because I like to leave options open. So I was like, okay, I'll think about it. And for some reason, it just kept gnawing at the back of my mind that I should really look into it. And I think part of the reason is that I just love the work she explores has been doing. And I was like, you know, this would be a great opportunity to try something new. And I like saying yes to new things to even just try them. And so that's when I thought, you know, the Women on the Road written interview series that Gail had been doing for the last few years would be a really great series if we converted it over into a podcast um, and transformed it in that way. Mm -hmm. So I pitched it to Gail and that's how it all turned out and had a microphone shipped to me within a week and off we go. Yeah. But it was a really big yes that paid off. I love it. I mean, I think just like with van life, I feel like self-employment can be something that maybe seems really glamorous. And obviously, of course, yeah, there are huge perks to having your own business and working for yourself, which is why we both do it. But it doesn't mean that it's not really messy sometimes. And I don't know, I'd love for you to share maybe some of the behind the scenes of what you've done and what you're continuing to do, maybe some specific stuff that you've done to help you build the business that you want. Yeah. Um, well, first, I totally agree with what you just said. Like, case in point, today, I would have loved to get more hours in, like behind my computer doing some work, but I needed to travel. And I was traveling home from the event that we hosted, which is, I guess, technically work time because I'm traveling for business. But, you know, when you're self-employed, that doesn't matter. I'm not answering the emails I need to answer. <laughs> so, so I totally relate to that. But I think some of the best things that I've done in terms of being self-employed and um, building my own business is, one, being open to just building relationships, just looking at every opportunity to talk to someone as an opportunity to not sell them on what you do or talk about, you know, you know, women on the road for forever or, you know, anything like that, but to build honest relationships and get to learn what it is that people need and want and what is interesting to them about your business. So. I learned pretty quickly that folks really wanted to hear about the podcast, and that was a unique marker for me. Um, and so that, you know, that was something I started investing more time in when I realized it was generating a lot of interest with just random people or friends or family. 
And you make good business contacts that way too. So relationship building is a huge one. And I also think that there's something to be said for sharing your story as often as possible. We live in a time where people are, like you said, you know, very voyeuristic. People want to learn more from others just from their day-to-day experiences, because even though the highlights and, you know, the really dark, scary times are fascinating and dramatic and make for good stories, so does the day-to-day. And people like learning about it because it's different from their day-to-day. So the more I've been sharing online about what's going on in my day-to-day in a vulnerable way um, and just really trying to dig deep and say, okay, what am I not saying here? What what would be scary to say right now? And how do I share that in a way where maybe someone else can benefit from it? Like, what's my learning in this that I would want to impart? That's helped to create more connection and people are interested in what I'm doing as a result of that. So the personal sharing has actually been a really good business move for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to dig into that a little bit more um and cuz I know again this is like always an individual choice for folks. How do you think about your decisions of sort of what to share or sharing things that are in an incomplete state? I don't know if I I just mean personal things, but obviously you said like, you know, going through this breakup and transitioning into a new van and sort of how do you think about what you share and when? Yeah, that's a good question and I recently wrote about this actually that I Someone made a a comment, a mentor of mine made a comment, actually, that I'm unusually comfortable with sharing things that are not finished yet, like in in an incomplete state. And I think that that might be true. Maybe people want things to be a little more polished when they share them. But I think there's something really real and beautiful about sharing things that aren't done yet. And people get to learn a lot about you because they get to see your process. And maybe that's like the creative side of me that's like, oh, hey, you know, like life is all about process. So why don't we just share our process? <laughs> and there's nothing to be ashamed of in that because everyone goes through all kinds of process. But to answer your question, I think that I try to ride the fine line between sharing, you know, where I'm at in an unfinished state and being raw and vulnerable in that way and trying to use that as a way to model um, vulnerability as a strength. And um, and completely oversharing and, you know, oversharing in a way that maybe is also disrupting other people's lives. So with the breakup, for instance, I definitely wanted to be able to write. That's a good outlet for me. And so writing I knew was going to be healing and and I wanted to be able to share what was going on because I made a commitment to myself to be vulnerable and I wanted to model that for others. But I didn't want it to disrupt the lives of the other people who are involved. So I didn't want it to disrupt my ex's life. Shortly after we broke up, I started seeing someone else. It just happened that way. I did not want it to disrupt his life um, in any negative way. And so um, I try to make sure that I'm being responsible in my sharing and I'm doing it for an ultimate purpose, not just to vent or to to get words out for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about, I mean, obviously, we, you know, we do similar things in different ways. I think about this a lot about the value of sharing something when it's in process and in an incomplete state. I completely agree with that. And I kind of, for me, it's like I check myself on what my intention is behind the thing that I'm sharing. Like if I need people to reaffirm it in an ego way, or if I'm going to be crushed based on people's response, I mean, obviously, if people say not nice things to you, it never feels good. But I think it can be more hurtful at more vulnerable times than others. So it's just kind of like taking a moment to be like, why am I sharing this, right? Like, is it like you said, because it's a story that 
feels important or because you want to be vulnerable or because you're hoping to connect with other folks about it versus like, I'm sharing this because I want to look good or because I want people to say X, Y, or Z things in response. And I don't have like a perfect formula, but I know what it feels like in my body when I'm doing the right sharing and when I'm doing sharing, that's probably not as great. And so I always just try to check myself with that. Agreed. Intention is everything. And I do think that, you know, maybe that's an overused phrase, but if you're actually going back to what is my intention with this and you're being honest about it, then you're probably going to be putting out content that's a true reflection of you and where you want to be headed instead of, like you said, serving, you know, your ego or, you know, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. Something else that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I think this is probably true for a lot of folks who choose anything that's non-traditional, right? Whether that's fan life or self-employment or any number of things is really the benefit and the need to define success for ourselves, maybe instead of following the script for what other folks might deem as successful or what our parents say is successful or what the culture say is successful. And I'd be interested to hear from you, given that you have definitely made some non-mainstream choices when it comes to, I don't know, your work, your life, whatever angle you want to speak to, how do you define success for yourself? Wow, that's a good one. You know, I think that Success for me has a lot to do with living in my values and where I want to be headed. And I do, I don't know if you're familiar with the desire map from Danielle Laporte. Yeah. Yeah. So every year I pick core desired feelings for myself. I pick between three and five core desired feelings. And that's really the majority of my goal setting. Um, And I've done this for the past three or four years now. So I'm just about to start thinking about my core desired feelings for 2019, which I'm very excited about and already have some ideas on. But that's one measure for me. So like this year, one of my core desired feelings was to feel exposed. And I didn't know why I picked that at the beginning of the year, to be honest with you. It just was something I was very drawn to. I wanted to, you know, kind of reveal myself to others, reveal myself to myself and just put myself out there in a greater way. And also not maybe not coddle myself or insulate myself too much because it's easy to do when you travel on the road. And so I did that in a really big way this year by transitioning my life away from the relationship I was in that felt very comfortable and kind of exposing myself through my writing and just, you know, you expose a lot of weaknesses when you go through a transition like that where you have almost nothing. And so so that was, you know, strangely, one measure of success for me was that, you know, I'm walking away from this year having lived a, a core desired feeling in a really big way and in a way that I think that Maybe I had not known about that at the beginning of the year, but maybe subconsciously I was like, yeah, I need some type of a change that's really going to shake me up and, and expose some things. So that's one way. And then I think another way honestly just has to do with how I want to treat others and how my life is impacting others. You know, I I travel a lot, so I'm not around as often for friends and family, but when I am around or when I make plans to be around, what moments are those? How am I showing up in my community? Um, When you live more of a transient lifestyle, I think it's easy to get focused on yourself and where you're going and what you're doing, especially when it's solo travel. And especially when you host a podcast, it's really easy to become (laughs) super focused on, you know, other people's stories, but also how you're showing up as a host. And so because of that, it's really important to me to um, mark success by how my lifestyle is still interacting with friends and family and community and where I'm showing up and and how. Yeah, I think that's so well said. So it's funny that you were saying that you're getting excited to do the 2019 planning and core desired feelings. And I, I mean, I love planning of all kinds. Like I love logistics, whether it's like the 
making a spreadsheet to plan the details of a long hike or whether it's, you know, end of year reflection and goal setting. Basically, I just love that whole space. And so obviously I know that you haven't done it yet, but what's sort of in the back of your mind, whether it's like something that feels really important to you for 2019, whether it is one of those core desired feelings that you're feeling like, mm, this is kind of what I want to base stuff around. What are your first inklings for next year? Yeah. Um, I don't have the word for it yet. I'm excited to research, but there's something around being structured that I really want to incorporate into next year. And it doesn't mean I want to confine myself too much, although, you know, a container is a great place for creativity to thrive. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to have some structure. But I just went through so much fluidity this year <laughs> that I think I'm ready to say, okay, you know, I want to get my bearings on a financial plan. And I, you know, because I, I don't have a really solid one now that my life has changed so much or I have three different shipping addresses. How about I just have one now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's things like that where I'm like, yep, I want some structure and a little bit of cadence to my life that I think will um, help my creativity to actually flourish. And um, there's one from this year that I really love that maybe I just need to be okay with loving the word and loving the feeling and not having it be a focus for next year. But I really focused on the word light this year that I wanted to be a light and I wanted to seek and inspire brightness it was like a really big thing for me. And I think that that showed through in my writing, even when I was in kind of a dark place. And I might just hold on to that as a mantra. But that's something that I'm walking away with from this year feeling very dear to. Mm -hmm. I love all of this. So the last thing that I wanted to ask you is if you, and I know that different days are totally different, but especially for us voyeuristic folks, can you kind of give a detailed rundown of a day in the life in the van? Oh, yeah, totally. So, and yeah, you're right. Every day is kind of different, but I think... I think the first start of today was pretty accurate. So like I said, I woke up in a hotel parking lot, which I, I don't normally recommend, to be honest. I, I think, you know, in being fair to hotels, it's not great to stay there overnight, even if they don't really care. We don't want a ton of people doing that. But I'll usually wake up somewhere, whether it's a truck stop or back roads or sometimes a paid campsite, but usually usually one of the, the first two and um, grab a little bit of breakfast. I might hit up a coffee shop, use the bathroom grab a tea or a matcha. I really love matcha lattes. So I'll do that and kind of get my day together, make sure, you know, if I have any phone calls, I know when those happen because I want to be in service for them. So um, if I need to travel somewhere, which if I'm in the van, I usually do, I'll figure out what my route is going to look like for at least the first part of the day. And I try to be pretty flexible with it because things can change rapidly, whether it's because you got stuck behind a slow truck or because the light looked really good somewhere and you want to just stop for photos. But I make sure that I'm in service for whatever phone calls I need to take. And then when I find comfortable places to stop for, I don't know, food or if I realize I need to get gas, I might stop in a small town. I will probably, you know, put up my computer and work for a couple hours and check in on emails, um, check in on Slack. That's how I communicate with uh, Gail and Haley through She Explores. And then, yeah, as the evening comes in, I start thinking about where I'm going to sleep. And so sometimes I'll have a goal as to where I'm going to go and I want to make sure that I'm there so that I can move on the next day. And sometimes I don't. So I think about whether I want to do back roads camping, if there's some good um, land around I can camp on for free or I find a truck stop that I feel safe at and I stay there. 
Yeah. The where to sleep definitely seems like that's going to be one of the bigger challenges of things to get used to. Yeah. And I I hear a lot of people poo-pooing truck stops. To be honest, I feel really comfortable there. I haven't found one that I don't feel comfortable at yet, though I'm sure they exist. But everyone's just there to sleep and get gas and use the bathroom. So I feel like no one has ever bothered me. Sometimes I get weird looks being a single female traveling around or like a rather a solo female traveling around. But honestly, I if you're in route, they're not a bad place to stay. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, um, I don't know whether it's like myths or misconceptions about van life or anything that hasn't come up yet that you wanted to speak about? Yeah, I guess the only other thing I would say that comes up in the realm of like hygiene on the road is just like shaving your legs or your armpits, like just shaving in general or, you know, just general hygiene. And I'll say I know a lot of people who like brush their teeth in like the bathroom at Target, which I've done before. Um, I, I, um, which is why I like having the sink. Um, And same thing with shaving. Like if you like to shave, then having a sink helps a lot. If you like to shower a lot, I would say get an outdoor shower system, like a little, you know, they have bagged showers that you can, you know, fill up with water, let them heat up in the sun or fill it up with warm water. And then it's a little hose on the end and you just use it, you know, with gravity and shower off outside or get a gym membership. And um, you can even do day passes to gyms. Like I just walked into a Planet Fitness to see if I could use, you know, their gym and their shower and mostly their shower. And they actually just gave me a free day pass if I gave them my email address. So sometimes you can get lucky that way. Sometimes it's 15 bucks for a shower, which is a lot. But if you get a gym membership, it's usually like 10 bucks a month and you can get in there. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, lots of options for hygiene. Um, Don't think you have to be dirty and smelly um, just because you meet people on the road who are. Um, You can shower as much as you want. Yeah. I mean, my thought is that I can't possibly be more disgusting than I am when I'm hiking. So anything in that regard is an upgrade. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love it. Um, So I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. And the way that we end these episodes are with some community questions. So folks in the Patreon community who support and fund the show every season put forth some questions that all eight guests are answering. So there's nine sort of random questions if you're down to answer some random questions. Cool. Bring it on. So the first question is about self-acceptance, which has definitely been a topic of discussion in my community lately. Can you share one thing that you've had to work to accept about yourself? Yes, I've had to work to accept that I can't do everything great (laughs) and not even perfectly, but great. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to accept help from other people who are more passionate about it and can probably do it better than me. Yeah. Who's someone, maybe a blogger or a fellow podcaster, maybe even someone that you love on social media who's had a big impact on your thinking in the past year? Basically, who should we be following and listening to? Oh, well, I firstly, I'm super biased, but I really love the work that Gail Straub puts out on the She Explores podcast, um, which you're going to be on soon, which is great. So She Explores is a, a really great podcast that'll, you know, transform the way you think about the outdoors. But outside of that, I'd say One gal I've been following for a while on Instagram is Abby Hearn, and she's an adventure photographer who travels with her dog and her husband. And she talks a lot about getting outside and running your own business and also about um, protecting the land that everyone is wanting to travel on. And so she's a really great person to check in on. Yeah. What's one place that you would love to visit in the next year? Ooh. um, So domestically, I really want to go to White Sands National Monument, which seems like everyone wants to go there because it's beautiful. But they've got these 
beautiful white gypsum sand dunes that you can go even go camping on um, if you get the proper permits or you can just stop through for the day. And then there's a possibility I'm going to Belize this winter and I've never been there before. And it's been a while since I've been abroad, actually. So um, I'd love to go down to Central America. That sounds awesome. White Sands is on my list, too. So let me know. <laughs> that we, could, we could show up there at the same time. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> What's a favorite self-care activity of yours or what does it look like really for you to take care of yourself these days? Yeah. Um, so when I'm traveling on the road, definitely painting my toenails and shaving my legs is a huge self-care moment for me. And then when I'm not traveling on the road, I think making a nice matcha latte um, or just making like a good cup of tea with like a little bit of steamed coconut milk is definitely one way that I like to unwind and just enjoy or go on a hike. That's another good self-care one for me too. Yeah. What's one thing that you are objectively pretty bad at, but that you love to do anyway? Oh, I'm going to go back to the singing. Um, <laughs> I haven't had anyone cringe yet when they've listened to me sing, but yeah, I'm definitely not getting any like round of applause or encore when I sing, but I don't care. I do it anyway because it's fun. Yeah. What's one thing that you've quit in your life that maybe felt really hard to quit at the time, but wound up being the right choice for you? My office job. Uh, and my my career in HR in general, I left that um, to hit the road and to pursue my creative endeavors. And there's parts of me that still love some of the challenges that come up with that. And to be honest, I walked away from a really good company. Um, and career-wise, I walked away from a really good lifelong projected salary. But I think it was the right choice for me so I could do um, something that really, really lights me up in a big way. Mm -hmm. So the next question is about books, which let's say two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? Oh, so I would say The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho is one of my all-time favorites, and I love rereading it any old time, but especially during life transitions. So I actually haven't picked it up yet during this season of my life, and I should. Um, and I say should intentionally because I, I don't normally, but I, I think I should. And the other one I was just talking with someone about, um, I love Brene Brown as a whole. Um, she's had a huge impact on me as a woman, as a creative, just as a human. And I think, you know, she's written a lot of books. I really like Rising Strong, but there's a lot of really good ones. So I think if you picked any of her books, you'd be in a, in a better place than you are now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Yeah, I guess I would ask, I would ask everyone to maybe think about how they want to feel next year because that's where I'm at right now is thinking about how I want to feel next year for 2019 and to spend a day or two thinking about, yeah, what, what would make them feel the best? How do they want to feel? And, you know, then think about what would it take to get there? So it might not be living in a van. Um, it might not be having a full-time job. Um, who knows? But I think feelings are really powerful and, yeah. I'm sorry that I only have one call to action because I feel like there's so many different things that could come out of listening to this episode. No, I mean, I, I think that's lovely, especially because it's really easy to focus on the what, right? Like of goals, but taking the step back of, okay, well, how do I actually want to feel? And can I be open to the fact that that might come in a different shape than maybe I had anticipated? 
Absolutely. I've been continually surprised by doing core desired feelings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's a good one. So what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Yeah, my favorite way to connect is definitely Instagram um, because I love writing and photography. So it blends both pretty great. Um, and you can find me at how she views it. And then if you want to stay connected to my voice, you can listen to the Women on the Road podcast and um, it's available on all podcast platforms or you can just find us on Instagram at Women on the Road. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes. And if people are curious for more photos and videos and stuff of your van, all of that is on Instagram too. And they can obsess about it like me because <laughs> I love it. I'm so excited for your van. It's going to be oh great. My God, I'm so excited too. Um, but yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much, Laura. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nicole. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Samantha. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Nicole. Are you ready to tell me all of your dirty secrets, everything about yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, just answer five random questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, My favorite question first, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Okay, so I don't know if you will have heard of this, but I am a client of the financial gym in New York City. I have heard of it, but I don't know much about it. So you can kind of give a rundown if you want. Perfect. Um, So they provide one-on-one financial training. They take away all the big jargon of a a financial planner and work with you to provide accountability. And they set goals for you. And they really helped me accomplish my latest goal of hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. And just tell you where to put your money. That's awesome. And sounds like such a needed resource. Yeah. I'm totally obsessed. Um, I've been a client for about a year. I'm actually hopefully going to be on her, uh, the founder's podcast called Martinis and Your Money within the next week or so. That's exciting. So, I mean, now just my curiosity is kicking in. What's one thing that's been really helpful for you that you learned being a client there? So for me, I'm a saver. And I know that's probably not the typical experience that people have. Uh, My sister joined and she's a spender and they helped her control her spending. But for me, the issue was more of once I've saved the money, I need to spend it. So like I saved for the Appalachian trail goal. And once they told me to spend it, like it was so much easier to actually put the uh, project in motion. That's so interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely going to look more into them because it came across my radar. I don't know, a couple of weeks ago through somebody else. So, you know, when you hear things a couple of times, you're like, okay, yeah, it's worth looking into. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, when you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, the classic is a National Geographic photographer. That was probably like the middle school dream. Um, and then the high school dream was uh, to walk around and deliver mail as the post office service. I thought it would be a good way to get my exercise in. <laughs> Those are two answers to this question I have not heard yet. So I love that. That's great. Um, what's been a tough lesson that you've had to learn the hard way? Okay, everything's going back to the trail now because I just finished. But um, congratulations, by the way. Uh, thank you. You as well. Um <laughs> So I kind of the point of that trip was to bridge the gap between being an underpaid barista and taking pride in work that no one usually takes pride in and making that transition to a civil engineer. And 
the hard lesson was that I will always be more of a barista in my mind. Like I will never stop missing that and it will never be less a part of me, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. I like that idea that you transition and grow and move from one thing to another thing, but it doesn't mean that you have to reject the previous thing in order to move on. Exactly. Yeah. That's nice. Um, what's something that you'd love to get better at in the next year? <laughs> Keeping my spaces organized, <laughs> um, putting away the dirty laundry as soon as as soon as it's um, dirtied, I guess. Yeah, I. It's funny. I love like organization and cleaning and things like that, but I always notice like my space is never cleaner than when I'm procrastinating on something else. <laughs> yeah, Maybe that's the tactic. Is like I work from home, so I'm like, oh, I I'm scared to do this thing, so I should definitely vacuum instead. <laughs> Um, last question. What's something that you've recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about? Yeah. So I thought about this one a lot because you've asked it, um, before and I couldn't come up with one thing, but I've noticed that with certain people, there are certain subjects I talk about and certain subjects I don't. So I think at least for me, the overarching thing would be like, talk about the thing you've never talked about with someone, like just Mm. bite the bullet and say like the three or four words, like, and broach the subject of what you don't want to talk about. Yeah. I really like that. That's good. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the cost of producing the show each season for which I am super grateful. And I would love for you to share two things. One, why you decided to support the show. And then two, what's been your favorite thing since you joined? Okay, so I decided to support the show because of the lovely introduction that you give every episode, basically because you asked and no one else does. And it really made me draw attention to the fact that people should get paid for this work, which is something that I definitely didn't realize before. So I'm super happy to support that model. (laughs) And the thing I love most about being in the community, there's lots of things, but Notes of Grit and Grace is my number one. And then also being a part of the community has made me want to listen to more episodes and just take in the content that normally I'd be like, I wouldn't have time and just soak it all in. I love that. Oh, that makes me feel so good. Um, can you share where you live and maybe a social media link or something for people to say hi? Yep. So I live in the Catskills of New York state and my Instagram handle is pissing in the woods. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So you win Instagram. That's amazing. Um, So thanks for that to everyone listening. If you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. Honestly, I can't tell you how much that support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better once you've joined our community. Perhaps we can even record together. We can do a future outro like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. 